warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism. If you were listening to the last five minutes off air, it was totally the most unprofessional podcast you ever would have heard. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, mate, yes. <laughs> I'm happy to no longer be doing Norman Collier impressions. Yes, Skype, the wonders of Skype for you. This is the uh, the problems we face now and again. Extra special edition of Real Britannia, um, because... Usually, we're about six six weeks or so in advance with our recording stuff. We yeah, were, at least, yeah. yeah. Um, we've made a decision this week that because of the what we're calling the chaos of Brexit and the upcoming EU elections, we have chosen the perfect movie to discuss. So we're recording this on the Sunday. It will probably be broadcast on the day of the elections, which will be Thursday. Which is a first, isn't it? Yeah. Which is a first for us that we're actually being topical with a movie that's nearly sort of seventy years old. So (laughs) (laughs) that's as topical as we get. Yeah. So today, I mean, it was a sort of a joint decision, wasn't it? But I think you lit the spark for this. I I think it's my fault. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing our capacity to be able to take a contemporary news event and uh, find an old film that in some way ties in with it um and it's not just this it's other things we've we've said before when we've been sat in a pub about um, oh, yeah. other things yeah. um so yes this is um a, a cheeky way of, of us having some commentary um to tie in with contemporary event of the eu elections and brexit and etc we don't get the chance that often i mean to actually get things out spontaneously like this so I'm looking forward to it. It's 1949's Passport to Pimlico, the Ealing classic. Let's play the trailer. We'll be straight back after this. A British passport for Pimlico. Customs and a frontier post in Pimlico. There must be some mistake. No, there's no mistake. It all began during the great heat wave when the discovery of buried treasure revealed that part of Pimlico was really Burgundy. That might seem unimportant, unless you lived in Pimlico. Legally, this is Burgundy. Head office no longer has any jurisdiction over this bank. This is my bank. Russian books, this is Burgundy. Coupon, this is Burgundy. Your export department, this is Burgundy. Burgundy. So far, so good. 
but there are complications ahead in Pimlico. Only the Duke himself can appoint a council. I am the Duke of Burgundy. Not to mention serious repercussions in Whitehall. You see, technically, these Burgundians are aliens. Aliens? Well, then it's your pity. Ah, but they're undesirable aliens. It's your pigeon. Forgive me. Are you a bleeder? I beg your pardon? Do you suffer from hemophilia? When you cut yourself, do you bleed interminably? No, I don't think so, no. Oh, pity. <laughs> Passport to Pimlico. It's a 1949 British comedy film made by Ealing Studios, starring Stanley Holloway, Margaret Rutherford and Hermione Badley. Directed by Henry Cornelius, written by T.E.B. Clarke, the story concerns the unearthing of treasure and documents that lead to a small part of Pimlico to be declared a legal part of the House of Burgundy and therefore exempt from the post-war rationing or other bureaucratic restrictions active in Britain at the time. Topical. <laughs> <laughs> The movie starts off. Did you notice after the um, the initial sort of credit sequence, there's a dedication. This movie dedicated is dedicated to the memory of what of um, ration books and something else. Wasn't it there? was. It was all to do with rationing, and that actually was a last minute addition to the movie because literally the week before this movie was to be released, a lot of items came off the ration lists. Ah. Um, and the film was due to open, and the producers thought, do you know what, this film isn't going to be so topical now because that sort of level of rationing doesn't exist anymore. So they created that insert to do the dedication part within days. Just Genius. To, yeah, they had to. And it works, and apparently it got a real like round of applause and a, a, a burst of laughter at every cinema it was shown in because of it, because obviously, you know, the horrors of rationing, you know, people have lived through it for years, you know, since 39, it was 10 years. That, and it was still going on after that. There were still things that were still rationed going on into the into the 50s as well. Have you seen this before? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen this, I think, four times at least. Yeah. It's a classic healing comedy, isn't it? It's up yeah. there with your Lady Killers and your Titfield Thunderbolt and Whiskey Galore, isn't it, I believe? so. Yeah. I love it. I love this film. Even, you know, we are doing this because of the, the topicality of the subject. But it's, it's we, just. We were going to get to it anyway yeah. at some point, weren't we? It would have been. It's, it's such an iconic, yeah. And we have to um, have to mention the cast then because, it, because it's got the iconic cast, it's got the classic <laughs> list of people. And you've just mentioned to me again off air there's more people entering the Hall of Fame than I was aware of. Uh, listen, yeah. Listeners who, who don't know, the, the, the Village Hall of Fame, as we call it here at Real Britannia because we're not grand enough to have a Hall of Fame. This, we, we only deserve a Village Hall of Fame, basically. Mm. Is dedicated to anybody on the podcast that makes three or more appearances. So I will give you the two that I'm aware of, and then you can give me the... You think there's potentially another two that are going in the Hall of Fame this week, yeah? 
Yeah. Right. First up, I believe Charles Hawtrey is yes. his third appearance after appearing in Carry On Sergeant and Carry On Nurse. And it's amazing. You wouldn't have expected him to be one of the earliest Carry On stars to enter the... Um, nope. He's not the first, but he's certainly uh, one of the earliest. One he's of the known. earliest and a very, very young Charles Hawtrey, minus his glasses in this movie. I've got Michael Horden as another one. Yep. Previously appeared on the show in Theatre of Blood and Scrooge, Christmas Carol, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What are the other two you've got? Um, I've got Sam Kidd, who was oh, um, seven, seven Days to Noon, Ten Millington Place and this. Ten Millington Place, which hasn't been broadcast which as hasn't yet. Which hasn't been broadcast, yep. but we've recorded, so that might have been why it didn't, it didn't fall yeah. um, right with you. And then um, we've got a guy called Frederick Piper. Really? Um, God, and he was in, in Which We Serve, yeah. um, 39 Steps, and this. <laughs> obscure. I yes. expe- <laughs> I expected Sam Kidd ages ago. Yes, he's one of those that you mm. would, that would, we'd say it's the people who aren't the Attenboroughs and Michael Caines and yeah. things, but he's in Everything. so many films playing yeah. support or whatever. So, And he had a long career. He did indeed. I mean... Um... Talking Pictures TV d- dedicated an entire day's programming to him a couple of months back. Because he's well, well worthy of it. Yeah, I, I thought we'd have seen him months ago. So Sam Kidd's in there as well. We've yeah. got some sort of second appearances. and Yeah, Margaret Rutherford and Hermione. Badly, Bradley, yeah. Stanley Holloway himself, um, Raymond Huntley. Um, the producer, yeah. Michael Balkan, would have appeared very soon. Yes, um, if not for <laughs> the famous missing episode that we recorded, because he produced the Blue Lamp, which we've yeah. lost, or I've lost. Hold a full responsibility to that. But he produced Thirty Nine Steps and the upcoming It Always Rains on Sunday. But he is the sort of the quintessential Ealing producer. He is the guy that you associate with all of those famous Ealing comedies that I mentioned earlier. He's, he's yeah. I mean, he's in, intrinsic in. The British cinema uh, for decades, and yeah. you know his hand is in, in, behind so many things that absolutely he's, it's surprising he hasn't come in earlier. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, and like you say, only second appearance for Stanley Holloway, second appearance for Margaret Rutherford. There's a second appearance for a guy who's one of my favourite actors, but he's not amazingly famous. He's not that notable. But I've always admired him, and I've always thought, I, I like that guy, and I've liked everything I've ever seen him in. The guy that plays the bank manager, Mr. Wicks, is yes. an actor called Raymond Huntley. Yeah, he was in, um, he's been in, um, oh, he we was in uh, Dan Busters, wasn't Dan he? Dan Busters, we've seen him previously. But if you look through his filmography, there's a lot of oh, stuff yeah. that he's going to crop up in. But I remember him most from, do you remember the ITV drama, Upstairs, Downstairs, from the early 70s. Yes. He was still acting during the early 70s, right up to, I think he died late 70s, early 80s. And he was the family lawyer in Upstairs, Downstairs, and he would appear pretty much every other episode. And he always plays that type of character, you know, the official, the bank manager, the lawyer, that sort of thing. And I've always liked Raymond Huntley, and I'm hoping that he gets into the Hall of Fame very soon, which he should do. Well, he's, he's in a, a series of... Um, he's in a couple of the Centrinians, and I think he's in some of the Doctor films there as well. Go. And yeah. he just... Yeah, he was... He, he, he's one of those that potentially, um, maybe with the exception of 
the Bond films, he's potentially dipped his toe into all the franchise ones that we talk about. <laughs> Normal Wisdom, I think he might have been in one of them as well. Yeah. Um, so he's he is one of those those characters that you know just was splattered around um, various films, and as you say, always playing a similar character. Yeah. Um, just always like so. him. He's competent. You know, it's, it's yeah. a very good word to describe him. He's just that competent actor. That you know, if you see him in a film, you know it's not going to be too bad. You know. Did you know, this is my first bit of trivia for you, this is actually based on a true event, quite loosely. Is this the Canadian... Yeah, yeah. yeah. did you yeah, read yeah. this? Um, listeners that are unaware, I mean, we've given you the basic premise of the story that a small part of Pimlico becomes an independent country um, because of documents that are found in a bomb crater. But what happened, it was, it was during the war, wasn't it, in Canada... Yes. It was the maternity ward. This is quite specific. Just a ward. The maternity ward of the Ottawa Civic Hospital was temporarily declared extraterritorial by the Canadian government so that when Princess Marguerite of the Netherlands was born there, she would not lose her right to the throne. Yeah. A room was declared (laughs) extraterritorial. That does sort of like capture the imagination. You can see why T.B. Clark sort of thought... I can make a story out of this somehow. This is it. I mean, it's it's in keeping with Ealing comedies. I mean, you know, not the time really to to go into um, a massive sort of documentary coverage of, of Ealing comedies because mm. that would take uh, you know a couple of episodes in themselves. But yeah. the point of most Ealing comedies were they were they were turning on its head some kind of social convention or um, there was some some strange unexpected quirk that was out of the blue that would would alter everyday people's lives in some way. Yes. And this, you know, this is what we had here with the discovery of the the um the the treasure and the um the deeds. Mm. Um again it's just a, a sparking off because of this this territorial thing with the hospital ward. Um absolutely it just went, Ooh, oh there's something <laughs> I can do with that. Um, what would what would happen if and then that's it away it all rolls away from and, and you know fabulously scripted um how he's done it. To yeah, be fair. and it all ends up as this famous, famous movie. It's probably one of the most famous British comedies of all time when you think about it. A lot of people, certainly of our generation, would be aware of this. I don't think. Yes. I don't think the youngsters are pretty aware of eating comedies. Full stop. Do you? Sadly, not. I think there's a possibility that the name is known more than actually people having because it's still out there. Yeah. Um, but the, having watched it, I think unfortunately. This latest generation that we we have, um, I think, aren't in the same ilk as us. Where mm. you know a bank holiday was spent, you know, on a sat inside avoiding the rain, watching <laughs> some old film. Yeah, and they now, don't get the opportunity, do they? Yeah. yeah. So they're kind of missing out. You know, it's their loss. But yeah. um, yes, this is an absolute classic, and, and one of the. Diff- I mean, unfortunately, it's, it's difficult not to denigrate it in any way possible, but it's unfor- unfortunately difficult to actually say. Um, how that it's a, in any way a, a standout iconic film, you know, with the sort of slate of Ealing comedies because there there were so many of in in there that we that were you know. It's iconic. hard to pick a top five, isn't yeah. it? Because you're gonna you're yeah. gonna have to admit something 
because there yeah. are there are more than five fantastic yeah, just, comedies. Yeah, were, each you know, Lady Killers, guy, you know, Man in White Suit, such like. So, um, Lavender Hill Mob. There's, yeah. there's there's so many iconic ones in there that you know, and they do stand the test of time. This stands the test of time, which is why we were able to drag it out of the archives <laughs> to actually reference contemporary event. Exactly. But they re- retain the quality that from which they came in the first place. They weren't done on a massive budget. Um, you know, this was, you know, this post, you know, this one literally post-war austerity. Yes. This was filmed in. And, you know, it's actually, you know, oh, we've actually got a bomb site there that's not being used. Let's go and film it on it. It was filmed you know? off the Lambeth Road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the quality was there in, in the acting and the um, the script that they made something that has stu- stood the test of time and, and you know, as a piece of art as well as social commentary and et cetera. It's great that we've still got it and that we produced it in the first place. Well, in the same way that it was, it's topical to us now, it was bang on the nail back then in 1949 because, as we say, literally the week before, certain parts of the rationing process was, was ceased. So it was so, you know, finger uh, yeah. on the pulse almost. And eating comedies tended to do that as well, I think, a lot of them. Uh, and and your, even with mm. this in the in the... Sorry, you can carry on. Well, I was just going to say, Titfield Thunderbolt with, with branch lines of the railways closing down. Yes, they you know reflected that situation. So the writers and the producers were well aware of what was going on around them, and they would react because it would make it more popular at the cinema. It would make it more appealing, and that's why I think Ealing comedies succeeded. And it was also, as you sort of touched on this earlier, there's also this feeling of the everyday person coming out on top or doing well when faced either with adversity or a very out-of-the-ordinary situation. Whiskey Galore is a great example of that. Yeah, it's the the plucky British spirit, Mm. but also with the quirkiness of the the Brit, with their, you know, strange humour and strange reaction and and what what the preoccupations they have with things, you know, the indignity of, of actually not being... Treated in a certain way because you're English, and we'll and because we're English, we'll fight to be Burgundy. Um, That's it. You know, that, the, that kind of thing. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just going to read that line out because I know what one you're hinting at. It's the grocer's wife, isn't it? She yeah. says we were always English, and we will always be English. And it's just because we're English, we're sticking to our rights to be Burgundians. Yeah. <laughs> and that and sums up the spirit yeah. of the whole movie, doesn't it? <laughs> and the film is littered with those lines, and it's not just the main characters coming out with these lines that are ob- the, obviously a focal point of a scene for a joke or whatever. It's um, it is the you know the the sort of some to some extent secondary characters coming out with these just throwing lines, and it been so finely crafted. And as as you've said, it was done in a, a very organic way where they were reacting quickly to what was going on around them and they were suddenly going right we've got this um why why don't we do something based upon that event that's just happened this week and we'll have a film out in six months time sort of thing and uh, and it works and even while they're actually doing the filming of it something that happens uh, as an event they'll find a way to go oh we could add add a scene in in somewhere references that which is what's happened with the um airdrop of supplies, food yes. supplies to, to them and stuff, which was, you know, because during the filming, that's when the whole Berlin blockade happened. Oh, well, there you go. And they suddenly went, ooh, 
<laughs> we could we could add we could have them airdropped. That's how we could not just people throwing things over or bad wire fences, but yeah. they could airdrop things in. Ooh, yeah, that'll be contemporary <laughs> reference as well. And again, it, it it you know is why people took to it straight away. Yeah. And, um, I they had of, that mm. flexibility where they decided to to just go with these things, and that's all the way through healing comedy, to be honest. But um, thinking about it, it's probably one of the earliest appearances in British film of a helicopter on screen. Probably, you know, yeah. that, how how modern would that have looked to you know and, audiences yeah. at the time? And we now we know where the you know the the saying "pigs might fly" comes from as well with the parachute. The <laughs> there is the pig. Uh, <laughs> It's a great story. It's it's very clever, but at the same time, it's very simple. You don't have to think too much about this. You know that this one little indi- this one little part of London, this one little part of Pimlico, <coughs> is has become an independent state. It's become part of Burgundy, and because of what was going on at the time with rationing, the inhabitants suddenly realised that can take advantage of this because rationing will not apply here ration books don't exist id cards do not exist even the police officers have no power yeah and licensing, licensing laws, laws yeah. For, for music and you know um which it's a great scene Charles Holtree to get a bit of on the on the old joanna great as you scene. would say down there yeah um that's yeah exactly it's and and the the policeman coming in and, as you say, not being able to control it and, and then just flick of a switch going, right, well, I'll have a pint then. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, and also they turn it on its head a bit because where the bureaucrats start coming in and saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do that, they then think, well, OK, if we can't do that, we can do this. So they set up border controls and, and sort of checking people's passports on the underground as it runs underneath Pimlico. Yeah, which it didn't, but... It's there is a station at Pimlico, yeah, yeah but yeah. <laughs> but um, but absolutely, the, you know, it becomes a well. If you're going to infringe upon us, there we'll we'll reciprocate and infringe upon. You know, we'll do the customs checks and make mm. sure nobody's bringing in any um, what was it, ma- marmosets and and, yeah. and cloth goods or something. <laughs> other. It is. It becomes a, a in a little way farcical, but it shows the, the bureaucracy getting involved and where it actually just falls apart. Practically, it's not a serious situation. film at all, is but, it? I mean, the, but yeah, it's it is. It's it's it's. it's I'm, I'm saying you, as in, I'm, I'm agreeing with you when I'm saying this is um, <laughs> the uh, the yeah. It's it's um, it's fun. Yeah, that, that's it, a good it, way to describe use, it. It, yeah. use, it uses these devices, in a, you know, to to have the farcical situations of the water being cut off yeah. and them needing to try and, and siphon the water away from, from over the border, as it were. <laughs> and um and there's been this this drunkard who is desperate to be locked up in, in you know, rather than go home to his wife. Yes. And the police trying to get rid of him so they can actually, you know, carry on with, with either the border checks on one side or the, the siphoning off of the water <laughs> on the other side. And this drunk is just foiling both of their plans for what they're trying to actually do as power. You know, it, it's, it, it, is, it is a farce. And, I mean, obviously there are things behind it all that actually, you know, it, it's got metaphors and tells tells a lesson um, to do with, you know, the bureaucratic restrictions and the freedom from them and what the the 
negative side of that is then without having having those you know the, the suddenly there's all this free trade where you don't have to be restricted to coupons and then when suddenly that means that then everybody can be selling anything you end up with the trade collapsing for the yeah. the dressmaker and it, it you know the the repercussions of having no rules or etc but absolutely the way there's the playoff with the um the bureaucracy of the british government versus this little independent nation as it were and then the way that they're taken to the hearts of the general public as well it's it's very heartwarming as well as just having laughs in it and teaching us a certain lesson about the value of independence it is some of those lesser characters as well that make up the film itself you know that all these small parts make up the whole you've got you've got the spiv you know you've got the um the bookmaker you've got the bookie that's oh, the bookie, yeah. that suddenly yeah. found that he's got a license to actually do what he's been doing undercover for god knows how many years and like you say hermione badly as the dressmaker she's actually ordering in export silk for the first time in god knows how many years and is there a part where not the bank manager but the bank manager's boss when he realizes that they're actually on foreign soil he goes in and buys a whole basket of eggs. He realizes that rationing doesn't exist, and he goes, yeah, two groups should cover the... that lot or something, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, and it's those little bits, those little characters that you just make up the sum of the whole thing. Two particular characters I want I want to mention very quickly here. Fans of British cinema will recognise the two actors that play the ministers: the minister at the Home Office and the minister at the Foreign Office. Yes, the actors Norton Wayne and Basil Radford. Now. Back in 1938, 10, 11 years before this movie was made, Alfred Hitchcock made a superb film. Lady Vanishes, have you seen that? Yeah. Right. It featured two characters called Charters and Caldicott. Now, if you've seen the film, the film revolves around a group of people travelling across, you know, soon-to-be war-torn Europe and, you know, their their endeavours to get back to England before war breaks out. And these two characters, Charters and Caldicott, played by Norton Wayne and Basil Radford, are sort of single-mindedly obsessed with cricket. They need to get back before the end of the test match. That's their whole aim. They proved so popular that they went on to appear in about 12 movies as those characters or variations of those characters with different names. So (laughs) Norton Wayne and Basil Radford are playing these two ministers. They're not specifically called Charters and Caldicott, but they are variations of that character. So we'd have seen them in The Lady Vanishes and Passport to Pimlico. They play a couple of similar characters in you know, the movie Dead of Night, which is what we're hopefully going to be recording at Halloween, the horror yes. film. They play a couple of characters called Parrot and Potter, but they're basically, you know, Charters and Caldicott. And they went on Night Train to Munich they were in, playing the cricket-obsessed couple, which is a great film, by the way. And they just went on and they even had a radio show they just had all these spin-offs. They were, they were quite popular. And it became quite a thing during the, the 40s that if Charters and Caldicott made like a cameo appearance, it just made it something special. Look out for them, mate. They're, they're quite yeah, famous. I, I looked, yeah, I looked them up because they, I obviously recognised their faces mm. and I looked them up expecting them to actually have fallen into the Village Hall of Fame. I was surprised they weren't. Yeah, they uh, will but do. But they will do mm. in, in very short order. Yeah. Um, but what, you, what you're describing there is is... Something that is in cinema in a way as far as even if the, in some cases they're actually named and been part of the, the ongoing plot, but um, other times not. But mm. they're these sort of side characters yeah. that that link 
things together and actually provide the audience with a little with, in joke almost. Yeah, sometimes. a little in joke for them. And I mean, I know it was done with Akira Kurosawa who did that with um, some of his films, and and um, there was two characters in one of his films that yeah. actually were the were the influence for C three PO and R two D two. Yeah. Um, Hidden Fortress, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it, but it's happened elsewhere. I mean, there's uh, you know, there's a famous one in the Bond movies. Um, yeah. There's a guy that's drinking. I think it might be in Moonraker when Roger Moore comes out on the gondola. It turns into a hovercraft, and he goes through through Venice. I think obviously it is. And the guy looks at the bottle of wine and looks twice at this gondola. And then you see him in The Spy Who Loved Me. Previously, he's on the beach having a drink when the car comes out of the water. It's the same guy. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, which is the, you know, what was done with um, Sam Raimi a lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, with with his films, bringing bringing in his brother particularly. As, oh, he's in every movie, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, but the, you know, it, it stretches back because I mean, the, you know, even pulling from classical literature. I mean, there's, uh, you know, I've been to see a, a play oh, about twenty years ago now. Mm. Went to see a play about um, it was um, Rosencrantz and, and Guildenstern, yeah. At, you know, a dead, mm-hmm. which was a spin-off of of two characters <laughs> from Hamlet. Exactly. That that their story merited, you know, it's, it's more um, exploration because actually mm. in the play they they perform this role that you're talking about mm. um, of of these two characters in Passport to Pimlico and subsequent films. So it's it's a great to get great cultural um device that actually is 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 true and trope that is there and they they both do it fantastically and we've seen them in other things and know they do it fantastically in other things as well yeah um so the use of them was spot on clever just bringing them in to do do that part of this film was 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 spot on they were so familiar to viewers at this point you know they'd been part of british culture or certainly the movie culture anyway for 10 years at least uh, interestingly, when The Lady Vanishes was remade, late 70s, uh, the parts were played by Arthur Lowe and Ian Carmichael. Oh. Now that would have worked. Yes. You could see yeah, that, that working. You can see that working. <laughs> cast that clever. They, yeah. could have, they could have ruined it, but they've done it, done it right. Yeah. yeah. So how much do we love this movie in particular? Um, for me, it's a, it's, it's a four star out of five. Uh, it, it's, it's one I turn to quite regularly. You know, I watch it every couple of years, even though I'm very familiar with it. It's just one that's, as you said, it's a lot of fun. It's very comfortable watching it. There's no reason to be offended by this movie whatsoever. You could show this to anybody. Uh, and as we say, younger younger audiences might not appreciate it as much. They might not get the humour. They might not see why we're liking it as much, but... It's certainly one of those generational things, I think, as you said, we were brought up on England comedies. It's something I think we should be pushing towards the kids today. They should go back and discover some of these things. Unfortunately, there is a, a generational um, factor of, of diminishing returns for, for people's appreciation of it because even we mm. are sat and there's things that are from our generation and that we're missing out on some of the references because some of the references to some of the stuff to do with rationing and et cetera, we could well have missed out on. Yeah. Because, you know, that was... But there was still enough in it for us that, that those occasional lost bits didn't matter. There's probably more now that the the kids of today, as it were, would be um, missing out on. But I think there's still more than enough there to actually make it enjoyable for them. So I would say that, you know, virtually anybody should um, make a point of trying to see this I mean, it's obviously we're saying about the 
contemporary value of it at the moment with the what's going on yes that, you know having having that having that analogy for the freedom um that this romantic notion of of national independence then being shattered by the reality of what is lost i yeah. mean that's um i mean there was um, <laughs> there was a line again i think it was from the shopkeeper's wife um mm. whose name i should know but she said um you don't know how good you've got it until you haven't. Yeah. Um, which is you no know, kind of grass isn't greener or you know you don't. But yeah. um, this film is is absolutely one that I can understand it having a cult following, like you know a lot of the alien films. But I think it is just a very comfortable, but still funny and valuable watch for us to actually have. And I think for from British cinema, this is something that we can hold up and you know as one of our greater examples of something that was done and people should go and look it out and sit down and watch it and be open to appreciating it because it's part of our heritage it, it, but it's it's also part of our culture because even if we're not referencing it it is referencing us yeah and if you're not going to watch it for any other reason apart from the fact that it's got stanley holloway and margaret rutherford in the same movie yeah just watch it it's what was the line you mentioned to me before we even came on air? It's so fantastic. Just Margaret <laughs> Rutherford just comes up. Are you a bleeder? Forgive me, are you a bleeder? <laughs> Which might not mean anything to anybody that hasn't seen the film, but it is totally random at the time, but then you realise why she's asking it. But it's just great. You know, you've got this whole... Ten years previously, there's this keep calm and carry on attitude. Mm. And now, it's just, I don't know, it's just a bit of fantastical sort of satire that probably hit home so well in 1949. Well, it was, it was you know, the script was Oscar-nominated and BAFTA-nominated and it, it was one of the higher-grossing films of the year and, you know, it only lost out to the BAFTA for The Third Man. Oh, well, there of, you go. You know, of all things. That's a good know, one to it, lose out to. Up, <laughs> up against Kind Hearts and Coronets and... Really? So you know, it was that was that was a year of, where, of British cinema where you just go right. Well, what a what a golden experience there was for the cinema goer yeah, then. Um, mm. But absolutely, this is you know, it's, it it just speaks to what it is to be British and in a good way, mm-hmm. not in a not in a throwing other people out. I mean, you know, you've got to recognise that um, sometimes. Sometimes you are the foreigner, um, so you, you know, <laughs> which is another lesson of this film, I think. Um, and that you know, it, it, there's, there are these subtle, nice, gentle messages in there, but it, it's not a message film, really. It's no. just a, it's just a, a bit of fast and fun. Doesn't um, hammer it home. So it? easy. No, it's just so easy to to watch and just enjoy. And you get to the end of whatever the hour and a half or whatever, and you just go. Oh, that was good. That was good. I mean, yeah, yeah. with the, with the chaos of Brexit, as we said earlier, and the uh, the upcoming elections, if you need a little break for ninety minutes, you couldn't do much worse than sitting down and watching this. I think just to put things in perspective a little bit. Great, great, Absolutely. great film. Yeah. Your rating, in your your form of rating, how would you sort of recommend this to people? Oh, people should go out of their way to see it. No matter uh, what, definitely. Yeah. yeah um, no matter if. I, I often add the caveat, as you know, with that, and listeners will know, I often add the caveat the, of if this is your type of film or, or et cetera, because there are some things that are. But I can't see this really being 
a problem for anybody to watch like you said yeah. it's got a unit it's got a universal appeal where there shouldn't be anybody who can't sit down and enjoy this film and if they can't no disrespect to them but that says more about them than it does about the film yeah I mean, in the history of british cinema this is you know well deserving of the title classic certainly yes. is a classic british movie um one of the better ealing comedies e- even though we just said they're all great <laughs> you know, it's, it's, hard, problem, it's yeah. hard to find a bad eating yeah. comedy. Isn't going, it? Oh, yeah, you talk about eating comedies and you go, oh, well, I, I, I particularly like so and so, and somebody else will mention one, the other one, and you go, oh, yeah, I really like that. And then you keep escalating it, and you, you go, well, yeah, I really like yeah. them all. You can't differentiate between them. Okay, let's take a short break, and we'll be back after this. Okay, so that was Passport to Pimlico. As we said, towards the beginning of the show, we are about six or seven weeks in front, Stephen, with, you know, episodes in the bank now. Yeah, at least. So we're not too sure where we're going to be with what's coming up next with the next episode, but we do know you're in for a treat. There's six or seven blinding episodes coming up. Um, and possibly one really dodgy sounding one where the recording went a bit skew with, but <laughs> at least yeah, I didn't, at least we didn't lose it. <laughs> yes, at least we've got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've got plenty more to come. There's another episode with Mark coming up very soon, which I recorded yesterday. Which are always ones I look forward to. He's great. He's, yeah. I enjoy his reviews. Mm, yeah, um, definitely. And he's coming back for more, like the fool he is, and. With the list of things that you are particularly, you know, wanting to talk about, we're we're just going to keep going and going until this, you know, fizzles out, which is nowhere, anywhere near in the future at all. I I think this is going to continue until one of us can no longer do it due to (laughs) (laughs) due to expiring. um, Yeah, that may be what actually brings the end of this podcast. So we'll be be doing this from our respective nursing homes at some point. So many British movies out there, and of course, Tony is lined up with some of the Doctor movies and the carry-ons as well when when he comes back. So Yes, hopefully he'll be able to get back with some more soon. Yeah. I want to hear. But we're still going strong. Still going strong. Yes. So looking forward to seeing you next week for another recording. Keep listening, guys. There's plenty more to come. This has been Real Britannia. Cheers, Stephen. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Positive shot. Good luck. Thank you.
helping the British end up, sir.